0: I don't know. I think this year I've learned to not, I don't see it as a bad thing that he has ADHD. Like, I'm happy that we have figured it out so that we can give him the strategies that help him feel better about himself and feel more successful.
1: Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired podcast network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach. Trainer and consultant. I can be reached at Brendan at ADHD Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHD for more details. What's up, team? The ADHD Essentials scavenger hunt is on. Check out the details in our Facebook group. The link is in the show notes. Or go to facebook.com slash ADHD Essentials Community to join. Also, registration for the 2021 ADHD Essentials Summer Parent Coaching Groups will open Monday, June 7th, so keep your eyes out for it. And of course, check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Art Tivers, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb, ADHD Diversified with MJ, and the ADHD-Friendly Lifestyle with Moira Maben. The ADHD Rewired Podcast Network Live Q&A is Tuesday, June 8th at 1.30 Eastern. Go to ADHD Rewired slash events for more details. Finally, this episode, like so many others, was edited by Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Aaron. Erin is a teacher and an ADHD mom of two boys. She's also an alumna of the ADHD Essentials Parenting Groups. In this episode, Erin shares some of the lessons she learned along her ADHD journey. She talks about how learning about herself and her imperfections made her a better teacher and parent, how being a teacher influenced her parenting, and vice versa, the importance of clear communication and the things she loves about her ADHD kid. All right, let's get rolling. So
0: my name is Erin. I am a mom of two boys. I have a 10-year-old who's in fourth grade and a seven-year-old who's in second grade. We're currently home remote learning this year, and I'm also a middle school English teacher. So I started teaching in 2007 and took some time off when I became a mom to be home with my boys and went back to teaching in 2018.
1: We met. Because I did a workshop at your school on how to get kids to do their work, basically. It was like, this is the productivity for middle school kids workshop. And so we connected there. And then a couple of other things happened that you've told me have affected your parenting and your teaching. One was the pandemic. And then you went through my parent coaching groups.
0: Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was, we had the workshop at my school um, right before, like maybe a month before the pandemic hit and the the world ended, so to speak. Um, And I just remember like sitting there and taking all these notes and all these great strategies, not just for students in our class who have ADHD, but for students in general, and kind of walking out of there and like no joke thinking, wow, a professional development where I actually learned something and I'm excited about it. Like it was just really helpful. Um, One being too, I feel like the big takeaway in my head is I'm wordy. I'm very type A. So I like write everything out. I have long explanations and just walking out of there and thinking, oh, my God, I'm too wordy for my students, like especially my ADHD students. I need to be more concise. So it was just it was an awesome workshop. I've kept everything from it. And at the same time, I was noticing my then third grader was just having a hard time in school. There'd always been kind of a movement issue, but he was really like, he was suddenly wanting to go to guidance all the time and trying to avoid work. And so I left there thinking this is going to help me so much professionally as a teacher, but then also thinking, wait a minute, like, I think something more is going on with my son and I should probably see about having him evaluated for ADHD contacted our guidance department, and then the world shut down. (laughs) And so didn't really get to necessarily kind of put into practice any of the things I learned in the workshop, because suddenly we were, that wasn't even remote learning, that was distance learning and all asynchronous. And so then I'm at home trying to manage a son who's struggling and another son, and trying to do this distance learning and kind of knew everything was stressful and chaotic, but wasn't able to put anything into practice. And so it was like, I don't know just kind of interesting timing and then i'm also this mom who's seeing what it's like to see your kids try to do homework at home. To see what it's like when they're trying to read directions, do they understand what they're being asked to do, because it was all asynchronous in the spring. So I started to be more mindful of what I was putting out to my students when we were doing that last spring 2020. And, but then I was also seeing what worked for my boys, what caused more frustration. And so things just kind of started clicking for me in terms of, all right, when I go back, like when I'm back in the classroom, this is what I want to change. And then at the same time as a mom starting to think about what I needed to do here at my house for my, both my boys, but especially my older son, who I was thinking like had these ADHD tendencies.
1: What were some of the struggles that you were seeing with the, the distance learning asynchronous stuff? Because that's kind of a model for homework.
0: Yes. The, you know, too many directions, they're not going to read too many words. You know, if I had these long wordy directions that I thought, well, see, I'm making it so crystal clear for what they need to do at home for my students. But if my directions, even if I had them numbered or bulleted, if they were too wordy, I started to realize, oh, they're only reading the first (laughs) three words of, you know, of this direction, or they're reading one and three, and they're skipping two. So starting to learn to be a little bit more concise, and just almost more obvious and concrete, like rather than assuming they should know, like, this is here, and you open it here, like, I mean, it was all distance. So like, putting the links right in there, like the word became the link, making it just more obvious and right in front of them. So it was easier to follow. I ended up doing a lot of we weren't really running classes in the spring, but a lot of you know me recording myself and walking them through it like i would do in a classroom and again just trying to be more obvious more concise was helping my students and then i saw the same thing with my boys like the longer the directions they were getting from their teachers and at the time it was first and third grade especially my third grader would literally flop over on the floor and just like he'd be pounding his fist didn't want to you know it was, he was overwhelmed so just realizing just that need to model to to slow down to be less wordy which is hard for me i'm a wordy person but that started right away impacting even how i could do things over distance learning although like there's still so much that i'd rather do in person
1: and where are things now
0: my year got weird i ended up not going back i took a year of leave so that i could be home with my kids to do remote learning with my boys um so i haven't really been back in the classroom but in the meantime in this fall, so fall of 2020, I had my son, my older son evaluated by the schools and they didn't find anything in terms of a learning disability cognitively, but they thought a tendency for ADHD. And we had that confirmed by a pediatrician. So I went ahead and contacted, like went up to your website and looked into the parenting coaching groups. Um, I had been listening to your podcast. Cause I wanted to have more resources. We got him on medicine right away. And that was a choice I made as an a, like a newly ADHD parent, because as a seventh grade teacher, there were just so many times through the years, I would see parents in meetings who had decided not to try medicine. They thought, we'll just try different strategies. They were resistant to medicine. And once they tried medicine and got the right fit, like seeing, like, you know, hearing, hearing a student say, oh, like, I feel so much better now. I like, I can focus like my peers. I don't feel stupid or I don't feel left behind or it's not great. Sometimes it upsets my stomach a little bit, but it's worth it to me because I finally feel like I'm, I can balance all these things in my life. So, and then parents saying, wow, we feel bad that we waited. So that was my, just me hearing these anecdotes from parents coming in. So when my son got diagnosed, you know, my husband was kind of resistant and I said, I'd like to try it. We're home this year. I'm home to see if something upsets his stomach. I'm here to see if it, you know, see how he's feeling. I'd like to try it. Cause I know too, like in fourth grade, this is when things really pick up. And I I don't want my son to turn into someone who hates school. Cause I think once you've decided that you hate school and school hates you. It's really hard to feel positive about school. It's hard to get out of that funk. You've got to get some amazing teacher that turns it around for you. And that doesn't always happen. So for me, I didn't want to put things off and I'm not judging anyone who does decide to wait because we didn't just try medicine. Like we're using a lot of strategies, which I'll get to from like your parenting coaching groups and he's seeing a therapist. So I didn't just decide medicine was a cure-all, but I knew medicine was something I wanted to throw into the mix because I just wanna turn school around from him as fast as possible. So I think in the parenting coaching group, we talked at the end a little bit when we had some free time about medicine. And I know some people don't get so lucky with finding the right fit right away. I also know that you know as a middle school teacher who sees my students go through all the hormonal changes in seventh grade, I know that this medicine that's working for my 10 year old right now, probably isn't going to always work so well and we'll have to play with it some more, but for now it was a good first step with all the other things that we're trying to.
1: Yeah. It's, it's great when the medicine works first hit, right? Like I can imagine that if you got glasses and they gave you a headache, but you could see better, like you might not want to wear the glasses. And if you got glasses that just didn't do anything like event, you're not going to keep buying new pairs of glasses. And so the process of getting medication is hard because it's kind of like Glasses for an ADHD brain, but sometimes the side effects are debilitating and terrible. Sometimes it doesn't do anything. So it is pretty awesome when you kind of get it first shot. So, congratulations and yay. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think that glasses analogy, like you mentioned it in class, um, our parenting class, you know, when we started, we just did it Monday through Friday. We just gave him the medicine. And then our weekends were hard and you know you kind of made that same analogy and that's like i thought about it as someone who wears glasses in context like yeah my saturday and sunday would suck if i wasn't wearing my glasses because i'd have headaches and i'd bump into stuff and i couldn't go anywhere and so once we started giving my son the medicine seven days a week that made a big difference and i think that was something eye-opening for me with adhd not just through your parenting class but as a mom it's not just the academics like i really see it with my son in a lot of ways with his emotional regulation and how he interacts with us and, and how he processes everything, whether that's inside school or, our you know, social soccer, we've started soccer again, seeing him on the soccer field is different now that he's not just again on medicine, but we're seeing a therapist, like a strategies-based approach to try to help him deal with emotions or when he gets frustrated or overwhelmed. As a teacher, I always like probably, you know, over a year ago would have said it's, it's just about focusing on school. And I didn't really realize the big picture and that's eye-opening because I think it makes me even more empathetic as a teacher to know that it goes beyond just can you write an essay for me in my English class, but especially middle school. I became a middle school teacher because I remember how awkward that time was in my life, you know, and I had some great middle school English teachers that just made me feel okay and want to come to school, which is why I wanted to teach middle school. You were middle school. I feel like I tell people at middle school and they're like, "Ugh," but that's how I would respond if someone was like oh, I teach first grade? Like, no, like everyone has their thing. Um, But I like middle school because I want to really make a difference where I think kids are having such a hard time. And now kind of having a bigger understanding or a better understanding about ADHD, that's another huge factor where kids could be having a hard time. And to be someone that maybe understands them a little bit more and is more empathetic, I think is going to change who I am.
1: Now that you're saying it, I see some parallels between middle school and ADHD, right? ADHD is kind of the middle school of neurological disorders because it kind of falls through the cracks in the same way that the middle school years kind of fall through the cracks. It's not one of those disorders that's really obvious and really, really debilitating in a way that is clear and easy to tell. It's not like you can look at someone and you can tell by their mannerisms or by the way they walk or something that something's going on if they have ADHD. It's just you got to pay closer attention than that. And say, oh, this person talks a lot and really fast and like is always moving around and can't sit still. That's how you have to figure it out. And it's easy to miss that. And so it doesn't get the kind of priority that, say, schizophrenia or bipolar disorder gets, which also means there isn't the same level of stigma, which is kind of nice, even though there's still stigma for ADHD. But middle school is the same way. Middle school is like, well, it's not elementary school and it's not high school, right? Like, even the name of it is middle, right. like it, it, that's how much it's falling through the cracks. Like you are the crack and, and you just fill the middle, I guess we'll just have them be there despite the fact that there's so much going on in those years with hormones and development and self-identity stuff. Who am I? Who do I want to be? Who are my friends and transitions from one peer group to another? All of that stuff is happening in the middle school years and not to mention emotional regulation, which is what, what you were talking about earlier. It's just a challenging time to be a human. And that's exactly why I wanted to teach that level too, was I was like, no, this is where I can do the most good.
0: Exactly. And then I think, you know, as a girl, I've always, you know, when I started teaching, felt like I could really connect with the pressures that maybe especially girls have during that time period. But then when I went back to teaching after having my boys, I am so much more empathetic to boys. I think it's because I'm a mom of boys, you know, like when they're, you know being goofy or there's even like somehow potty talk still ends up in my classroom in seventh grade like it does at my dinner table with two boys like i have so much more patience for it than i would have before because now i'm a mom of boys and i see that so just overall like this time period i don't know i just i get it and i like being around them even though they are awkward (laughs) and it's a weird time um and yeah now i feel like understanding adhd which is I mean, when I first started teaching, I feel like, you know, there may be a few 504s or IEPs, you know, that maybe mention ADHD. And now it, so many of my students have it and to have a greater understanding of it. I mean, I think I was already, you know, I don't think I was a jerk or totally ignorant prior to all this, but just having a better understanding to her, like in the parenting, your parenting class, we talked about, you know, the structures and routines and communication. Just all these different things that can come into play for me as a parent and as a teacher that can help make better connections with my students, too, and and show them that I understand and that, you know, not trying to single them out either as someone with ADHD, but that just I have a better understanding and I want to work harder to make everything more enjoyable and accessible for them.
1: I remember when I taught, I thought I was doing something wrong. Because I would talk to other teachers and they'd be like, this kid's a nightmare. And I would be like, that kid's fine in my room. I don't know what you're talking about. And invariably, it was the kid with ADHD, right? And I admit, as a teacher, as a parent, as a human, I'm more permissive and more forgiving and more like, yeah, do your thing. That's cool. Like, we'll figure it out. And it was the teachers that were more strict and controlling and authoritarian that were having trouble with those kids, so some kids struggled in my room because I'm more lax. So I didn't have like as rigid boundaries as your more authoritarian teachers do, but not so terrible that like it affected our relationship. They just had to figure it out for a little bit longer. It took them longer to figure out where my boundaries were and, and what that meant. But the kids who needed that sort of gray area to make mistakes in and have those mistakes get forgiven before they pissed off their teacher and ruined that relationship. They got along great with me.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's for a middle school teacher, I think that's awesome. And I I think I probably fall in there too. Like I'm a pushover, you know, like more forgiving, like allow, you know, kind of a little bit more chaos to happen. And yet at the same time, I'm still type A. And so I think for the most part, like I hit a lot of the students, you know, the ones that need that structure and, you know, a little bit more rigid guidelines, like I've got it. But then I'm also like, you want to dance in the back of my room while I teach? Cool. Like you dance. I know you're still listening. or. Come in when you can, like never forcing a child, but come in at like lunchtime, come in after school and I'll work with you and we can do it then if this time is too distracting for you or, you know, so kind of, I've always had that balance with the students, but, but now I still, I still just feel like kind of a greater understanding, but also even this year, like I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but like my son, in addition to figuring out ADHD, we also had him evaluated and found out there's a reading impairment. So he's always struggled with reading and hasn't liked it. This year, he's going up before his remote day starts and reading for 45 minutes on his own and flying through the books I'm getting him. Now, it's in his head. It's the oral reading that's a little like the fluency out loud that's a little harder for him, but he's getting so into these stories. And it's because it was totally choice reading for him this year as a remote learner. He got to pick his books, he gets to get into it. So, even that, as an English teacher, yeah, I can't, like, we do read novels together. But when they leave my classroom next year, I don't want them going home with a worksheet and questions they have to fill out. Like I want them to enjoy reading and writing and thinking. And so I want to make reading just more open ended, less pressure too. I don't want a student to get home and be like, I don't, I don't remember. I didn't write down the directions, So I don't know what I'm supposed to do. If they know, pick up a book or listen to an audio, if that's how they do it and read. And then, you know, tomorrow you're just going to tell me something that you enjoy, like just to make reading and writing and thinking more enjoyable too, is something that I've kind of picked up from this year.
1: I just want to play with the systemic piece in what you just talked about, because it sounds like your kid's difficulty with reading is reading out loud, like oral reading and at the risk of being obnoxious, who cares? Right. Right. Oral reading exists in school as a thing that happens a lot.
0: I've got to do it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And other than, like, unless he's going to be a newscaster, who cares? When is that ever going to affect him in his life? If he's anything other than a job that requires reading things out loud. And there's a lot of jobs where you're not reading stuff out loud. It's most of them. So I don't even know that that's a disability like that. It's a disability in school where you're expected to do that. But once you leave school, I don't know how much that matters.
0: Oh, I agree. And I mean, I panic like when my students are like, will you read that chapter out loud to us? I'm like, oh, in front of all of you. okay, let me not mess up on the words like I still panic in that setting. I think, though, in his case, the other side of it is reading a word problem in math. If he misses one word, that word problem doesn't make sense anymore. So he needs it there. You know what I mean? if he can enjoy fiction in his room, you know, reading whatever in his head or listening to, you know, so many people listen to audio versions of, of novels now, you're still emerged in the characters. You're still thinking, you're still making connections to life. Do you have to be able to read out loud? No,
1: <laughs> you know? And even word problems. Like I don't, I don't encounter word problems all that often in my life either, you know? Like, That's true. yeah, I guess there's sort of an equivalency if you're filling out a form or you're doing something for insurance or something like that. Maybe that's kind of like a word problem, but by and large, some of the disabilities that we look at through the lens of school only exist through the lens of school. And I kind of feel like school should change.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think too, because I see it as a teacher, just remember it from being a student. I think sometimes when I worry for my son, I think about, oh God, I don't want him to be embarrassed if he's picked to read out loud. Like I never force students. I do like a popcorn reading. It's choice. I never put that pressure on students because I remember how much even though I was a school geek and I love school, I hated being called on to read, you know? So I never do that to my students, but still, sometimes when I worry for my son, it's like, oh God, what if he's asked to read out loud? What if he's with a partner and they have to read something out loud and he's embarrassed? So I just, that social piece of it, I don't want him to have a hard time and get upset, you know? It's just the mom, like the protecting, you know? So I think about it more that way when I think about, oh God, can you read out loud? Like, I want you to have this for yourself.
1: Let him know that I read to my kids every night. And my kids make fun of me because we've been doing the Rangers Apprentice series for, it's such a long series. We've been doing it for like all of the pandemic. It finally got to the point where I was like, we're just going to have to read a different book in between each Rangers Apprentice book because it was just like going and going. And apparently I hit a phase that I've mostly broken because they made fun of me for it where any name I came across, I just read as Horace. Like I didn't, because one of the characters' names is Horace. And I would just be like, instead of saying halt, or will, I would just say Horace. And I didn't even know I was doing it. I was just like, do, 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 Horace, do, 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 -do -do, Horace. And then they started teasing me about it.
0: I kind of do it to make fun of myself when I'm reading out loud to my students, you know, but also to show them that I don't, you know, I'm not perfect at reading by any means either, you know, so I'll mess up something or I'll be like, yeah, yeah, we're going to call him Bob because I can't pronounce that. Or, you know, a weird city or town name that I can't pronounce, you know, I'll be like, let's call it our town name, you know, and just just to show them that too. And too, when they ask me, you know, I'm an English teacher. When they ask me how to spell something, I normally have to turn around to the whiteboard and write it out. Mm-hmm. You're the English teacher. I'm like, yeah, I know how to use my resources. Or, you know, I look it up. So I definitely think with the students, I'm like, I'm just pretty real. Like I don't try to have some front like I know more than you or you know, I still have to use strategies just like all of you do to kind of get by, whether it's reading or spelling or writing. So um, that definitely helps with the connection too with the students. You know, it's fun. like when I start out teaching, I would do that. I feel like now because everything's online, they don't catch it as much. It's harder to catch typos when everything's on a screen. I think it's easier to see it in front of you, at least in my experience. But there was one time when I first started teaching, I taught five sections of English and we did a word of the day. And it was in the last section of the day that I realized I had pr- pronouncing the word of the day wrong. I can't remember for the life of me now what the word was, but I had already taught 85 students the wrong way to pronounce it. <laughs> I was just like the next day I had to just be like, okay, so this is how you use the pronunciation guide in the dictionary. I mean, that was before dictionary.com, but you know, anyway, tangent here, but. Uh,
1: it's an ADHD podcast. We're supposed yeah, to go on tangents. Yeah, That's- we're going
0: to go all over the place.
1: Circling back to some of the stuff you've already mentioned, how have the the parent coaching groups affected your approach to things? Because I'm curious, I don't get a lot of feedback on the groups. So when I get the chance to ask, I want to.
0: We had different themes every week, but just even some of the structures, like thinking about the structures as a parent, like one thing, for instance, is I've tried to have like when I communicate, like better communication with my son, making more eye contact, like, kind of repeating back some of his feelings or, oh, this is what I'm hearing you're saying. Just that better communication has helped in our house. And I know it's going to help in the classroom. Another thing too, is I realized, or I learned through the class that part of having better structures is when I'm more concrete, like you, this is a timer set on Alexa you know, and at the end of that timer, that's when you have to give up your technology time and go outside. Like when there is a clear guideline, he responds much better versus just, yeah, yeah, you have 10 minutes. But then if he thinks I've cut him off at eight minutes, it's not fair. So when I get more clear and concise, but clear about a structure or a rule or a guideline, it makes sense to him. And there, there isn't the fight, there isn't the confusion or the battle And then communication is more positive because it's up did you hear that alarm yeah i did no problem heading out and again that's something that i've done a little bit in the classroom but can do more of just having you know around transition time too is is something that we talked about in the parenting class and i know now i'm gonna start my classes with like a mindfulness time i'm gonna actually call it like take your 10. so you get 10 minutes and in that 10 minutes like, was your binder falling apart when you left math and now you're coming into ELA and you're like feeling, you know, disorganized because that was a mess at the end of that class period, then organize your math binder. Did you need to finish my homework? I'm going to, you know, or did you need to ask me a question on one more thing? Then ask me during your 10. Did you want to read? Did you want to put your head down? Because that's what you're, you know, where you're at today. So having that time in place too is, you know, just that time to transition. Because we talked a lot about the transitions in the parenting class. I think it's something that helps practice that more at home with my children. And then also, you know, thinking about my classroom for next year, the classes in general were a great place for us to, you know, you delivered content, but also for us to talk as parents with, of, you know, children with ADHD and bounce ideas off each other and realize too, that it's not just happening in our house, which I think sometimes happens as a parent. I think as a teacher, teachers, we have a better perspective because we know what happens with other kids. But I think sometimes as parents, you might feel isolated if you think it's only happening you know, with your son or daughter. So it gave us a place to kind of talk out ideas and hear how things were going for other people, which was helpful too about the classes.
1: Awesome. That's exactly what I want people to be saying about the groups is, is those elements that the content is good, the connection piece is good, that it's sort of sounds like it's doing the job that I want it to be doing. So yay! <laughs> or, or even
0: like you'd start Wednesdays with mindfulness. And- As someone who's so like type A, go, go, go. I remember the first week being like, so he just wants me to sit here for five minutes and I'm not, I can't check my email. Like I can't, you know, I can't take notes. It helped me to calm down from whatever the day, you know, would happen in the day and be more focused for our, you know, our session rather than thinking about something else. And so that idea was something that I'm like, okay, my students need this. They need the time if things have been crazy, but also maybe they do just want to sit and like, You know, doodle or practice some more, you know, not productive, more of a mindfulness time, but then I'll have more of their focus once we get going. Because I think in teaching, you always worry do I have time to get through everything? Do I have time? So at first, the idea of like, I'm going to give up 10 minutes, but I just rather have less academic time with them, but more productive time where they're enjoying it and I'm enjoying it and we'll get more out of it.
1: I'm going to be honest, my teacher training kicked in and I was like, 10 minutes? Oh my God, that's like forever.
0: And now that I even say that though, Mondays and, no, Mondays, no, now God, I'm so off on the schedule, Wednesdays and Fridays, we have slightly different schedules with the kids. So I have them for shorter blocks. I'm like, okay, it might have to be five on those days, (laughs) but we have longer blocks the other days of the week. And I do, I think I can, I think I can pull it off and it gives me time too. It's so hard with full classrooms too, to have time to check in with students. So I have to remember during that mindfulness time or if I'm going to give them that take 10 or whatever catchy name I'm going to come up with that I want to walk around and check in with them too. You know, it's, and i obviously in 10 minutes can't get through 25 kids, but you know, if I kind of keep track on, you know, this day, I'm going to check in with this half of the room, just even a hello. It doesn't have to be like, how are you doing on this assignment? Um, I think will just help me make better connections too. So it's worth it.
1: And the fact that you're willing to let them put their heads down. That's a big deal. I a rant that I go on every now and then is about teachers who don't let kids put their hoods up in class. I'm like, you're missing out on a huge amount of information by not allowing kids to put their hoods up because when a kid puts their hood hood up, they're communicating to you that they're not okay. And in a way that is not disruptive and is not disrespectful, right? It's just a hood up and the person is kind of hiding and looking like things are not okay. And now I know I should Interact with that kid and see what's going on. And the same principle applies to if you're letting kids put their heads down for a few minutes in the beginning of class, that's a good communication tool too. Cause it might be that they're tired and that's good information to have, especially if their head is down every single time. Now we need to maybe talk to mom and dad and be like, your kid seems exhausted in my classroom every day. I just want to let you know that. Yeah. And if it's a kid who typically is up and boisterous and then all of a sudden their head is down, what's that mean? and even the way a kid puts their head down is it's different if they're upset versus sad versus tired versus whatever you can get those nonverbals when you have that as an option
0: yeah my thought is is that the only thing that they can't do during that time is like you're not getting on your chromebook and looking on youtube like it can't be free for all like you know we have a rule at cell phones that our school have to stay in the locker it doesn't always happen but um you know it can't be just literally your 10 minutes to do whatever you want like it has to be constructive in one way but Like, I don't see, like you said, I don't think it's bad to put your head down. That's different. Like, I'm either learning something from it or maybe they really need a few minutes with their head down and their eyes closed, you know,
1: to process all the stuff they learned in math. Right. The reason their math binder is a mess, like you mentioned, is probably because the pace of that class is really fast. They might need time to process that and defragment.
0: And that's something I think I, you know, was thinking about a lot this year, both, the courses like the parenting classes and just seeing my my own children like i think because i've always had this thought as a teacher like we got to go we got to go you know i i'm forgetting that if they're still dealing with something that happened in the hallway that happened in their math class that happened then i don't have their focus anyway so it's better to kind of have some quiet time take a pulse of the room see what's happening with everyone instead of just racing ahead Cause I mean, I do, I offer up my time a lot to my students. I'll stay in at lunch and recess. We can, you can have lunch in here and we can either hang out. Sometimes it turns into just social, like they're in my room and they're eating and they're just being silly. Or sometimes they want to work on stuff or after school. So I don't mind giving up my time, but I don't always want them to feel like, well, great. Like I always, I think we talked about this in the parenting class. Like this is the hard thing for me. And now I have to spend more time doing the hard thing. Cause she wants me to come in after school. So if I can give up a little bit more time where I'm checking in during school to try to not, not do that. Cause I'm happy to give up my time for the students and work with them before school and after school. And for some kids, they just need that quiet time one-on-one, but to have more time in the classroom for it so that they don't feel like they're in a rat race. Like you've said in the parenting class, it's like you take a test and then the next day we move on to something new. Well, what if they didn't do well on the test? And now it's just that wall of awful, you know, keeps going up. I don't like to do a lot of tests. I actually don't do tests. And and with my writing assignments, I tend to do, you can rewrite. Um, But even that I want to think about because who wants to rewrite if we've moved on to the next assignment and they're already feeling behind. Um, So I think next year, I mean, we have to do a lot of writing in seventh grade. It's just a big writing year. They have an essay on the MCAS when they get to it. Just maybe we all have to rewrite. Maybe that's the next writing assignment is we all continue to improve the last one rather than This idea that I have to keep pushing forward. I have to keep going to the next assignment so that, you know, everyone has the chance to kind of think about what they've done and have time to process it and improve it if they want to, rather than feeling like, well, I can for extra credit, but now I'm going to feel behind because they're already on to the next thing.
1: I was thinking about that with my kids and my homeschooling yesterday, literally yesterday, because we did a whole poetry unit as part of the homeschooling stuff that we finished. I don't know, two weeks ago, we wrapped that up. And it feels so far in the rearview mirror. It feels like we did that a year ago. And because I was like, man, my kids haven't really done anything that kind of caused them to feel some pride that they created something and had a product. And I was like, I haven't done anything like that in forever. And then I was like, no, we did that two weeks ago. And the poetry, as much as they resisted writing it and said that they didn't like what they wrote, they also liked it. Like they also, I could tell they felt accomplished and like they had done some good stuff. And for that to feel like it was so far back in history when it was two weeks was telling for me because that's how school feels a lot of the time too, where you're just like tearing forward and you don't revisit stuff. So the idea of revisiting this essay and we're going to just go back to that, that essay we wrote in term one, and we're going to go back to that in term three or whatever and rewrite it. We're going to spend a week making it better or three days, making it better or whatever makes sense. That's interesting to me. Like that's, that's, that's compelling that this stuff still matters and we should revisit it.
0: Yeah, well, and I think too, I've always, I mean, since I started teaching, you know, if I have this many novels I wanna get through or we've gotta cover, we've gotta get from here to here in grammar or whatever, whatever timeline, whatever I have that we have to get through, our school is starting to look at moving to standards-based report cards, which is tricky To when you start talking about doing that in middle school because by high school, you know, there is more the need for a letter grade so that it, you know, when you're applying to colleges, et cetera.
1: What does standard-based report cards mean for people who don't know?
0: So instead of seeing on a report card, oh, I have an A in English, it would list, okay, the different Massachusetts curriculum standards. So can, you know, can Billy read and understand nonfiction? Can he, you know, write a five paragraph essay? It's not quite that specific. Um, I'm totally blanking right now on the standards, but, you know, just listing out the skills. So, and and like my children who are only in elementary school in our district, they have that for the elementary school level. And I like that as an elementary parent, I don't need to know if he has like an a in fourth grade but oh i know that he can read i know that he can do these math factors that they're working on and it just either says you know you're approaching that standard you exceed that standard you know you still need you 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 meet the standard so we're looking at moving towards that and i was overwhelmed at first about that idea of doing that in my school like my middle school but what i like about it is the idea of i feel at least my interpretation is i'm going to take the pressure off myself to get through x number of novels and just work on those skills. And if it means we spend longer with a book and we're enjoying it, we're doing you know more analysis, more activities, they're rewriting an essay, maybe I get some more fun, creative choice projects in there and we're working on a skill, I don't feel the same pressure that it has to be, I got through five books, I taught this many things. If I'm just mo- focusing on trying to make sure the skills are what they need to be. Um, and speaking and listening is our skills that are part of the Massachusetts standards and more time to practice, even if it's just to me in a video, they don't have to present in front of the class, more time to get them talking and speaking. It's a way to kind of revisit and reanalyze and think about something we've read and write or written, um, but doesn't necessarily have to be new content, You know, it can just be another medium for them to express themselves. So I, I don't know, in my mind, the idea of working off standards, I'm taking the pressure off myself to try to get through too much and just work on wanting to see these students enjoy these basic English skills and work on them through the year.
1: As a mom and a teacher with a new perspective on ADHD, what are some of the strengths, good things, positive stuff that ADHD is bringing to you, your life, your family? What does that look like?
0: My son with ADHD is really insightful and really creative and has a lot of strengths that I don't have at all. Um, He can really think outside the box. And so, I don't know, I think this year I've learned to not I don't see it as a bad thing that he has ADHD. Like, I'm happy that we have figured it out so that we can give him the strategies that help him feel better about himself and feel more successful. But in figuring it out more, I think it no longer looks to me like, I don't see ADHD as like, oh, I've got to have to work. I'm going to have that student in my class and that student will be hard for me. You know, I don't see it that way anymore. Just, oh, okay. Like everyone's an individual. We all have our own different learning styles. It's a learning style, you know? And, and so I think as I've learned more about my son's ADHD and learned more this year, I see more about like, I've also figured out who I am a little bit more, you know, like identifying it. I'm a wordy type A list person, and that's not great for everyone. And I need to tone it down and, you know, learn to, to just kind of have a greater perspective about how everyone learns differently. And yeah, I don't know, like it's, being a mom, I love the way being a mom has impacted me as a teacher, because it makes me more excited to teach and more empathetic to my students. And, you know, being able to make the connections and say, like, I understand who you are, not just in my classroom, but what happens sometimes when you go home in terms of your busy life, your sports, like I'm running around with my kids to sports, and I'm doing the homework struggle with my kids at home. So I'm not going to give you extra homework tonight, because that's no fun for anyone. And I want you to go home and, and play and do whatever. So. I've kind of felt like that since I've been a mom in general, you know, a mom and a teacher. But this year, especially becoming an ADHD mom, seeing my kids go through a pandemic and learn at home, just feel like I have a better perspective and a better understanding of, you know, what ADHD is.
1: And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience?
0: People to just understand ADHD a little bit more, to take the time to learn really what it is rather than having some. I don't know, just like my father, my dad needs to learn more (laughs) about it because now he's a grandson with ADHD and he's just doesn't always get it. Like, I think he still thinks it's just that he moves a lot, you know, and I want him to understand that it's not just academics, that it's you know, it's behaviors, it's kind of life overall, and that it's not a bad thing. It's just He processes things differently um, and just being more understanding of that and, you know, recognize everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. And this isn't a weakness. It's just something different, just like we all have our differences as a parent, like a new parent with ADHD too, like reaching out and finding resources, you know, like your parenting class, other parents, and just kind of understanding it more. I think I've been lucky through this whole process that not only did I have you as a resource because I happened to meet you right before everything shut down, but I felt like confident in knowing when I approached the school for my son, I knew what I could ask for. Like, you know, I knew even in our parenting classes, there were some parents that, you know, were like, well, what should I do? And I'm like, email the teacher and tell them, you know, in, in, in a positive way and that you want to work together. And some, some of the parents were not shocked, but maybe seemed timid to reach out to the teachers. Like my approach is always reach out to me. I'd rather have a good relationship with the parents too, and work together. So I felt really lucky this year to understand both sides of it.
1: Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. better is all you need.